Come, Holy Spirit, speak to us through this word that you've inspired. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear your voice in the passages that we're going to look at today. Help us not to just be hearers of the word, but also doers, that by your grace and your power that we would be changed from the inside out. Do your work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This past week, I've been talking to a man uh, who really messed up. He committed a terrible sin, had, had lots of consequences. Now, don't, don't worry, he, uh, he gave me permission to uh, tell you about it, but this man not only sinned against his family, but he broke up another man's marriage, and of course, um, as a believer, he sinned against God. It was the kind of thing that he would have never imagined himself doing. At first, it was nothing more but just a glance in her direction, then a, a longer look, and then a conversation, and then planned chance meetings, then secret meetings. He's a good-looking guy, influential, successful man. She's a beautiful woman whose husband seemed more devoted to his work than to her. Well, one thing led to another, and you know where the story goes. Again, this guy would have never thought he would have done something like this. And I won't go into the details, but somehow he was able to do it under the radar and keep it under the radar, and for the longest time, it seemed like there wouldn't be any serious consequences to what he had done. Many of you in high school read Edgar Allan Poe's disturbing story entitled The Tell-Tale Heart. How many of you read that before? Yeah, okay. So the main character in the story murders a man and buries him in the basement of his house, and he puts the corpse in a brick wall that he has built in front of another brick wall as a kind of makeshift mausoleum. No one knew anything about it, no one except him, of course, but his guilty conscience haunted him and tormented him and he couldn't eat or sleep. And the guilt weighed so heavy on him that he began to hear from the basement. He heard the beating of this heart day and night. And it got louder and louder and louder until it ultimately drove him insane. Now, of course, the point of the story is that the noise of that beating heart didn't come from the basement of the house. It uh, came from the basement of his own heart. And the man that I've been talking to last week, if he were here this morning, he, he would tell you, in fact, he told me to tell you that it was like that for me. He would tell you that living with those sins that he had committed and keeping them secret nearly destroyed him. He would say that the guilt of unconfessed sin will sap your strength, it will rob you of joy and turn you into a deceitful person. He would say it'll take you down mentally and emotionally and physically, relationally and spiritually. But he would also tell you that you don't have to live that way. In fact, he wrote a short note and he gave me permission to read it. He says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. 
For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and didn't cover my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave me the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the great rush of waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And God said, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, and I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Don't be like the horse or the mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it won't stay near you. Yes, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love of the Lord surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright of heart. Well, now you know the man I've been talking about is King David. This is his story of grace. David was the greatest ever king of ancient Israel. And this, Psalm 32, it's David's words of confession after he committed adultery with Bathsheba, after he orchestrated the death of her husband, and after his sin was exposed by a prophet named Nathan. Now, the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. That was his epitaph for all eternity. It goes down that David was a man after God's own heart, meaning that God did not hold his sin against him. He didn't count his sin against him. His sin did not define him. David wasn't a perfect man, but he was a forgiven man and a restored man. And this, his prayer of confession, was the first step toward godly sorrow and his repentance that led him back into fellowship with God. So take your Bible, paper or digital, and find your way to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. By the way, if this is your first time with us, hey, we're really glad that you're here. You could have chosen lots of churches in the area, but you chose this one, and we're grateful that you did. One of the things that we would want you to know about us is that most often on a Sunday morning, we are teaching our way through whole books of the Bible, we finished up a, over a year-long study in the book of John, and uh, this fall we're going to be in Ephesians. We'll study through Ephesians, and typically in the summer we do a more topical uh, series of messages, and this summer we're looking at the words we use. In other words, we're looking at the words we use with God, the words we use with each other, and the words that we use on mission, and we're specifically looking at how God's word shapes or should shape our words. And we spent the last two weeks looking at how God takes our words very seriously, much more seriously than we typically do. And if you miss those messages, I would strongly encourage you to go and listen to the first two messages in the series. You can, you can uh, go to our YouTube channel or our Facebook uh, channel and see them there or download them from our fellowshipgreenville.org website or you can uh, watch them on our Fellowship Greenville app. Now, last week I gave you a, an assignment, and, and it was called the tongue assignment, which was that for one week, try to follow these five spiritual laws of the tongue. And they were, don't gossip, don't complain about anything, don't blame, shift, or make excuses, don't defend yourself, don't boast about anything in yourself. Instead, speak well of others, Give thanks in all things, own your mistakes and confess your sins, 
acknowledge a critique with grace, and boast in your weakness rather than in your strength. So I'm just curious, how did you do with that? How did you do with that? Like, uh, like some hands, fingers going down. Yeah, I made it till five o'clock on Sunday afternoon before I broke three of the five all at once. Of course, I took a nap all afternoon, and uh, that would probably have something to do with the success I had. But uh, now remember, the point is not so much that by doing the assignment we would get better at taming the tongue. Now, the idea is that by watching our words, we're able to see better see what's going on in our hearts. And also remember we said God doesn't love you more or less based on how well you do with the tongue assignment. It's simply a way that we can begin to see if we're living out of a gospel-shaped heart or a me-shaped heart. And by taking our words more seriously, we end up taking what's going on in our heart more seriously. So here's my question for those of you that tried the assignment. When you failed... When you gossiped, when you complained, when you made excuses, when you boasted about your strengths, when you blew it, what did you do with that? Did you confess that as sin? See, that's the question. That's what we're going to talk about this morning as we look at Psalm 32 because we're going to look at the importance of confession. But before we jump into Psalm 32, we need to clear up some confusion about this whole idea of confession, what I call clearing up confession confusion. All right, now, if you were raised in a Catholic background, when I say the word confession, probably the first thing that pops into your mind is guilt. And uh, as a good Catholic, the way that you would deal with your guilt was you would go through the sacrament of penance. Um, where you regularly go to the confessional booth and you confess your sins to a priest, as in, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And after you confess your sins, the, the, the priest gives you X number of Hail Marys and X number of uh, Our Fathers as your penance. And then, then you're absolved of your sin. And that whole routine was just a part of your lifestyle. That's what good Catholics do. Now, if you grew up Protestant, well, we have a system too. In some way, a lot, a lot of Protestants feel superior to Catholics because we don't go to priests. We can go directly to God. So here's the Protestant version of the confessional. At the end of the day, you're, you're in your bed at night, or maybe you even get on your knees beside your bed at night, and you confess all of the sins of the day that you can remember. Or you do the gloss, God forgive us for all our sins. And uh, once you confess your sins, you know that God forgives you and he forgets all of your sins and he never remembers them against you again. So what you do is you empty your sin bucket to God and God forgives you and forgets your sins. Or maybe you don't do that every day. Maybe you do it once a week on Sunday. Now, I remember growing up in a Baptist church and I remember pastoring in the early days. I remember pastoring Baptist churches and I remember some church members coming up to me and saying, you know, preacher, I don't feel like I've been to church unless the preacher bloodies my shins. Um, which means, unless the preacher beats me up and makes me feel guilty for the way that I've lived this past week, I don't feel like I've been to church. Anybody grow up in Baptist churches like that? Or, yeah, some of you, yeah. So, so you confess your sins, you get the guilt feeling off your back, but then the next week you take your sin bu bucket back into everyday life, and the sin bucket gets... Uh, uh, filled uh, again, and you confess your sin to God at night or at church or next Sunday or both, and, uh, and the next week, you repeat the routine all over again. 
So whether you came from a Catholic background or a Protestant background, no matter what religious background you might be, the ritual is you blow it, you feel guilty for your sins, you confess your sins, you promise to try harder, you feel better about yourself, but then you go out and commit the same sins again, confess the same sins again, promise to try harder, and it's like this never-ending cycle and there's no change. There's no real life change. That's not confession. That is not repentance. That is not gospel. That's religion. Really, that kind of confession is all about me. Like, I don't feel good about me. I feel guilty. I feel bad for what I've done, so how do I get rid of the guilt? Well, I'll confess my sins so I feel better. And many of us think that confession is all about guilt relief. We think that confession is all about clearing our conscience. But when you open the scripture, you don't find that at all. You don't find it at all. So what exactly is confession? How does confession result in genuine life change instead of it being a a way to temporarily relieve your guilt before going back into everyday life and committing the same sins over and over and over again? Well, Psalm 32 helps us answer those questions. Now, here's what Psalm 32 and other, other scriptures teach us about confession. I found this statement online in a number of different places. I'm not sure where, where it came from, but it's short and to the point, and it's kind of one of the big ideas in my message, and that is this, that genuine confession leads to genuine change. Genuine confession leads to genuine change. In other words, the goal of confession is not a clear conscience, but a changed life. Genuine confession leads to genuine change. Confession is not about getting rid of your guilt in order to feel better about yourself. No, confession is acknowledging your sin to God and experiencing in the present the grace and forgiveness you received in the past when you trusted Christ as your Savior. Let me say that one more time. Confession is acknowledging your sin to God and experiencing in the present the grace and forgiveness you received in the past when you first trusted Christ as your Savior. Now, I'm going to unpack that statement for you this morning, and I'm going to begin with Psalm 32. So look at verse 1. I'm going to focus most of our attention on the first five verses. Psalm 32 is one of six psalms that are called the penitential psalms. Six psalms that talk about sin and confession and repentance and forgiveness. And those six psalms are Psalms 6, 32, 38, 51, 62, 130, 143, hike. Uh, Six psalms. Now, this psalm, Psalm 32, David wrote after his sin of adultery with Bathsheba was exposed by the prophet Nathan. After David orchestrated a battle strategy designed to get Bathsheba's husband killed so he could take her as his wife. These are major big-time sins. And a lot of people might think that these sins are so bad that God could not forgive such things. But the good news is God is in the business of of forgiving sins. All of our sins, little sins, big sins, personal sins, public sins, secret sins, scandalous sins, sins that hurt us, sins that hurt others. Hear me, there is no sin too big for God to forgive. And David knows that. David knows the forgiving heart of God, but he also knows what happened in his own heart when he concealed his sin, when he covered it up when he tried to block it out of his mind and refused to deal with it. Now, here's the outline that I'm going to follow this morning. We're going to look at sin, and we'll see two words that define sin in verse 1. 
Then we're going to look at the consequences of concealing your sin. That's in verses 3 through 4. And then confession, we're going to look at that, verse 5. And then the blessing of confessing your sins, that's found back in verses 1 and 2, and then in verses 6 through 11. So I want to start in verse 1 by focusing on the words that David uses to describe the sin in his life. In verse 1, David uses two Hebrew words that can both, both be translated sin or transgression or something else. It says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, uh, whose sin is covered. First of all, there's a Hebrew word translated transgression. It's the word Hebrew word pesha. It means rebellious self-assertion. So if you ask what is sin, sin is rebellious self-assertion. St. Augustine in his, in his book, uh, The Confessions, talks about something that happened to him when he was in his teens that helps us understand the nature of sin. When he was 16 years old, he and a bunch of friends broke into a pear orchard and they stole some pears. And afterward, he was asking himself, why did I do that? And he says, like, like, I wasn't hungry and I don't even like pears. So why did I do it? And as he reflected on it, he said something like this. I realized I wanted to steal the pears because it was forbidden. It was because somebody said, don't go into the pear orchard. If nobody said, don't go into the pear orchard, he said, I, I, he, I wouldn't have been interested. But somebody said, don't go in there. And that's why I wanted to do it. He realized that at the core of the core of the core of his being was this impulse that said, nobody can tell me how to live my life. It's that self-assertiveness, that self-will, that self-centeredness, that, that hatred of any limitations on our desires that actually makes our lives miserable and makes the world a miserable place to live in. Nobody can tell me what to do. I'll do what I want to do. And you've said it, and I've said it, because we don't like limitations on our desires. And that means if a rule gets in the way of my desires, I tend to break the rules. If a promise gets in the way, we break our promises because I want to do what I want to do. And that mindset ruins relationships. You see, you can't have a relationship without losing your independence. The closer you are to a friend, the closer you are in a romantic relationship, the closer you are to your spouse, the more you just can't do what you want to do all the time. And we don't like that. Why? Because there's something deep inside of us. It's called sin, self-assertiveness, self-will, self-centeredness that makes us want to break the rules, break promises, and break relationships if it gets us what we really want. Sin is rebellious self-assertion. Now, there's a second Hebrew word for sin in verse 1. It's in the second clause. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. That is the Hebrew word chata'ah, which means to go off the path. And that's another way to think about sin. Sin is going off the path. Think about it. Now, a path is the way you get to your destination. A path has been cleared so you can safely walk on it and if you go off the path, you go off into the weeds, where a lot of you spend time looking for golf balls, going off the path of the fairway. I mean, you can't see where you're walking, and you might step in a big hole. You might fall off a cliff. You might get lost. So first of all, sin is self-assertion. I'm going to do what I want. Nobody can tell me to do uh, what to do. Not God, not you. And second, sin is going off the path. God's laid a path before us, but we're going to go our own way to get what we want. 
And the consequences of sin can have devastating effect on us. I want you to think about lying for a minute. Lying is one expression of rebellious self-exertion. It's a way we get off the path that God has put us on. So what happens when we lie? And I don't mean the lies we get caught in. What happens when you lie and you don't get caught? Does anything happen? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there are serious consequences. When you lie to someone, you have begun to ruin the relationship because, number one, you're not open with that person. You're concealing things from that person. You're deceiving that person and manipulating them with more lies, and you walk in fear of getting caught. But the truth is, whether that person catches you or not, you're always caught by your own telltale heart, and you know it. And David knew it, and he knew the terrible, awful internal consequences of concealing his sin. So let's talk about that, the consequences of concealing your sin. Look at how he describes it in verses three and four. He says, for when I, was, when I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. The bottom line, David's telling us, he was dying inside. He knew that he had committed adultery with Bathsheba because of his own rebellious self-assertion. He knew he had to cover his adultery by getting rid of her husband. He knew he had gotten off the path that God had put him on because he wasn't doing the things that kings need, were supposed to do at that time of the year. He got off the path, and now his whole life was drying up. And he felt the guilt of his sin weighing on him physically and emotionally and mentally and spiritually. When he kept his sin secret, he was doing everything he could to, to keep that sin pushed way down below the surface. Like, think about how much effort it would take if, 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 uh, if you're in the deep end of a swimming pool and you've got a beach ball and you're trying to push it underwater six feet deep and you're trying to hold it down underwater. It keeps wanting to come back up. That's the way David was living his life, and it was killing him on the inside. So you see, when you, when you lie and cheat, when you are unfaithful to your husband or wife, when you find emotional sexual fulfillment outside the covenant of marriage, whether with porn or with another person, even though you might not get caught publicly, if you know God and you've walked with God in the past, you'll be caught in your heart. And David says God's hand will be heavy on you. And if you don't respond to God's hand trying to nudge you back onto the path, if you don't respond to the Nathans in your life that God sends your ways, if you continue to tell yourself lies to justify the lies you're living, ultimately you'll become a person you never thought you would be. Did you catch that? Harboring secret sin, lying, deceit, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness in your heart will rewire your heart and mind so you end up becoming a very different person a person that you would have never thought you would end up becoming. And sadly, as a pastor, I'm here to tell you I've seen this over and over and over again. My, my friend Steve Farrar wrote a book entitled Finishing Strong, and in it he writes this. He says, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay. It'll cost you more than you want to pay. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay, 
and it will cost you more than you want to pay. And even worse, it'll turn you into a person you never thought you would be because in order to, order to constantly justify what you know is wrong, to justify dishonesty, to justify lies and deceit, to justify bitterness and unforgiveness, to constantly be covering up your guilt, you not only have to go against the will of God, you have to go against your own God-given nature. And that always leads to breakdown. Here's my point. The consequences of concealing your sin is greater than the cost and the consequence of confessing your sin. The cost of concealing your sin is greater than the cost of confessing your sin. I, that's what David is telling us in verses three and four, but I know you're saying, I don't, Charlie, I'm, that's hard for me to swallow, man. I mean, like if I confess this sin, my family are gonna be disappointed, my marriage may, might be over, my reputation is gonna be ruined, I may lose my job, it'll hurt me financially. The consequences, don't you understand, Charlie, the consequences could ruin my life. And yes, there are consequences to confessing your sin. There is a cost. But if you humbly confess your sin and you believe God will use those consequences to break down your self-will and get you back on the right path, if you believe that, then you also have to believe that when God says confess, it is for your highest good. You see, the consequences of confession are immediate and local, but the consequences of concealing your sin stretch out and can stretch out over a lifetime in that you become hard and callous. It's always somebody else's fault. You never really deeply own your own sin, and you find it hard to trust people because you know you're not trustworthy. Concealed sin, secret sin, changes you into a person who forever sees all of life through a filter of their hidden sins and their cancerous guilt to carry. So what do we do with that? What's the solution? Well, the solution is confession. What does it mean to confess our sins? Okay, look at verse five. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, Lord, I'll confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave me the iniquity of my sin meaning you forgave me the sinfulness of my sin. Now remember, confession is not something you do so you, you feel better about yourself so you can go out and keep doing the things you need to keep confessing. No, confession is, about is not about relieving your guilt. It's not about clearing your conscience. So God will have pity on you. So what is it about? Three things. Number one, confession is agreeing with what God says about your sin. That's all it is. Confession is agreeing with God. God says it's wrong, so it's wrong. God says you need to stop, turn around, and get back on the path, you agree with him. God says you need to change, you agree to the changes he wants to make in your life. Confession is when God says something and we don't argue with him. Confession is, God, this is what I did, you say it's sin, I agree with you, it is sin, you're right, I'm wrong, it's sin. Confession is agreeing with God. And so if God calls what I'm doing sin, then it is sin. And then I need to call sin, sin, and by God's grace, forsake it. Resolve to forsake it. So confession is about agreeing with God. Now there's a second thing we need to know about confession, and that is confession is the first step toward repentance. Confession is the first step towards repentance. Confession and repentance are almost synonyms, but not quite. 
but they are like two sides of the same coin. So confession says, God, you say what I've done is sin. I agree with you. I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against others in what I've done. Repentance says is a change of mind. In other words, you're changing your mind about what you thought was sin, what was not sin, but it is sin, and you're agreeing with God. That's the first step. You now agree with God that what you've done is wrong, and so this is where the repentance part comes in. You resolve, by God's grace, to forsake that sin, and you do whatever you need to do to make things right with God and with other people, the people that anyone that you sinned against. So, so most often, repentance is going to lead to some form of restitution or making amends, and then it will lead to reconciliation, hopefully with reconciliation with others, and we'll talk a little bit about that next week. So number one, confession is agreeing with God. Number two, it's the first step toward repentance. And number three, confession is uncovering your sin. Now this is interesting. Look at what David says in verse five. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover up my iniquity. In verse one he says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Now, if you want to understand the power of confession, it's that right there. It's, it's all wrapped up in these words about cover, covering. And what does that mean? Well, to understand what David understands, we have to go back to the early chapters of the book of Genesis. And when you go back and you read the first three chapters in Genesis, you see that in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve lived, they, they enjoyed fellowship with God. And they lived before God... And they met with God in the cool of the day. You remember the story. And they were naked. They were uncovered. They were unashamed. And that was perfectly good and fine because there was nothing they needed to hide from God. But one evening, God shows up and they dive into the bushes. Like they hide. And God says, what's wrong? And Adam says, well, we're hiding because we're naked. And uh, I don't know why God didn't say this, but he could have said, but Adam, you guys have always been naked. I mean, so if you're hiding because you're naked, why haven't you hidden before? God didn't say that, but the, the point of that is that the change cannot simply be physical nakedness. There's much more going on here, but the question is, why all of a sudden did Adam and Eve realize they were naked? Well, you see, when they sinned against God, they knew they had sinned against God, and for the first time in their life, they felt the guilt of disobeying God, and that guilt made them ashamed of themselves and that guilt made them realize that they were naked and and many theologians say the reason that Adam and Eve hid from God the reason they knew they were naked was because they lost the clothing they had prior to their sin in other words they lost their original righteousness what what does that mean well let me put it in modern language like why are why are some of us uh, perfectionist? Why are some of us workaholics? Why are some of us worried so much about our body and how we look? Like, why do we spend so much time blame shifting and gossiping and putting people down and being critical and cynical? Well, it's because we're covering. We're covering our nakedness. We're trying to stitch together a righteousness of our own to deal with a lost righteousness. And we desperately try to hide who we are from people, even though most people see who we are better than we see ourselves. And Adam and Eve, they, they do the fig leaf thing as an attempt to cover their nakedness, to cover their guilt. And God's like, if you, if you cover yourself, I can't cover you. 
But if you're willing to uncover yourself, if you're willing to be naked to me, if you're willing to confess your sin and make no excuses, then I will cover you. And of course, we know the fig leaves didn't work. And so God had to kill an animal. He had to make, there was a sacrifice that was made to cover them. God says, if you cover yourself, I will have to expose you, as Nathan did to David. But if you expose yourself, I will cover you. See that. The self protective, self-promotional strategies of your life are just fig leaves. Fig leaves to cover a sense of lost righteousness. But God says, I can give it back to you. I can give you that righteousness back, but only if you admit you don't have it. Again, God says, if you cover your sin, I'll have to expose you, but if you completely uncover your sin, I will cover you. The question is, how is that possible? How does all this work? Well, Paul tells us in Romans 4 when he quotes Psalm 32. Paul says this, To the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is counted to him, accredited to him as righteousness. Look at this. David says the same thing. When he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. So what Paul says in Romans 4 is the reason that David knows this, though he doesn't understand all the reasons why, but he does understand that the covering that God gives is not a cover-up. God is not saying, well, I'm just going to cover up these sins and we'll just forget about it. No, God imputes them someplace. He, he doesn't count them against you anymore. He accounts them to somewhere else. He sends them somewhere else. Well, where? To whom? To Jesus who took our sin and our nakedness into himself on the cross. Now, here, this is so important. On the cross, Jesus hung there naked. Well, that's very important. Why did they cast lots for his garment? Why was the garment removed? He was made naked for us so that we could be clothed. He was uncovered so our sins could be covered. So do you see do you see what the scripture is teaching on all of this? It's teaching us that because of Jesus there's great blessing in confessing your sins to God and having God cover your sins so that those sins will never be held against you. So let's unpack this whole thing about the blessings of confessing your sin. Go back to verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there's no deceit. Confession is a way that we experience God. Confession leads to experiencing God. Not, not, not just a happy feeling, not just feeling better about yourself, not being relieved, not just being relieved of your guilt. No, confession leads to blessing, which in the Hebrew means wholeness of life and rest and peace and joy and experiencing the life of God flow through your life. Solomon in the book of Proverbs, this is our memory verse for today, uh, puts it this way, Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper but he who confesses and forsakes them obtains mercy. Whoever confesses and forsakes their sin lives in the realm, the realm of the blessing of God. Think of it like this. 
Like when you have hidden sin in your life, uh, you're, it's like you're living in the realm of sin and the consequences of concealing your sin. But when you confess, you move out of that realm and you move into the realm of God's blessing. And, and, and you begin to experience life with God. He, he, God just doesn't just forgive your sin. He restores the blessing, his blessings to your life. So what blessings are we talking about? Well, the whole rest of the chapter unpacks that for us. In verse six, it talks about the blessing of God protecting you in the rush of great waters. In verse seven, it talks about experiencing the blessing of knowing that God is your hiding place and experiencing the victory of God, of, of, of his deliverance in times of trouble. Verse eight talks about the blessing of knowing that God is instructing you and teaching you in the way that you should go, the blessing of guidance. Verse 10 talks about the blessing of having the steadfast love of God surround you as you trust in God with all your heart. And verse 11 talks about the blessing of being able to once again be glad in the Lord and shout and rejoice for joy because in your heart of hearts you know that God holds no sin against you. The Lord holds no sin against you. Now that brings up one final bit of confusion we need to clear up when it comes to confession. Here's the question. If the Lord does not hold our sins against us, then why do Christians need to confess their sins? If all our sins, past, present, and future, were nailed to the cross, what's the point of confessing? Do we confess our sins in order to be forgiven of our sins when they've already been forgiven? Follow me? That's a great question. It is a very important question. And to answer that question, we got to turn to the New Testament, all the way to the back of your Bible, hit Revelations and back up to 1 John. This is a familiar verse. And it may be a verse that, in light of the questions I just asked, you never have really known what to do with. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, is this verse teaching us that we need to confess our sins in order for God to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, it seems like it's saying that. But if that's what it's teaching, then how does that square with God forgiving our sins past, present, and future on the cross? I mean, why do I need to confess my sins if they've already been forgiven? And the answer to that question is found in just one little word in 1 John 1, 9, and that word is the word just. Just. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He does not say faithful and merciful, even though God is. He does not say faithful and loving, although God is most definitely loving. No, here we see that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And that's the answer. Like, what? <laughs> okay. All right, look, if you're a Christian, when you confess your sin... The reason God will forgive you is because he's just. It would be unjust for him not to forgive you. Why? Because Jesus paid for your sin on the cross. He paid the penalty of your sin. He paid the debt of your sin. He paid your debt, which means if you believe in Jesus, God has to forgive you. He has to forgive you. It would be unjust for him to not forgive you because that would mean that he's trying to get two payments for the debt. 
and Jesus has already paid the debt. And so if God was trying to, if you had to get forgiveness all over again, that would be unjust. It's like 1 John is saying, 1 John 1, 9 is saying, if we confess our sins in the present, God is faithful and just to forgive those sins because they've been paid for in the past. So there's no fear in confessing our sins. You see, the book of 1 John is about walking in fellowship with God. Verse, chapter 1, verse 6. For a believer, sin breaks fellowship with God. It does not break relationship with God. But sin does disrupt fellowship with God. So why do we confess sins that have been already forgiven? Well, remember what I said way back at the beginning. Look at it again. This is so good. You've got to get this down. Confession is acknowledging your sin to God and experiencing in the present the grace and forgiveness you received in the past when you first trusted Christ as your Savior. All our sins have been forgiven. All our sins were covered on the cross, but we still sin. And sin breaks fellowship with God, and we need to confess those sins in order, listen, to experience the blessing of the grace and forgiveness of God in the present. I'm saying confession is one way that we experience God. Prayer is a way we experience God. Sharing the gospel is a way we experience God. Confession, confession is a way we experience God. And, and you and I desperately need to experience the ongoing grace and forgiveness of God in our daily lives. We need to experience the, the application of ongoing grace and forgiveness in our, uh, uh, the forgiveness of God in our life. We need to experience the blessings that come to us when we agree with God. God, that was just stubborn self-will. When that rears its ugly head or, or when our sins take us down a path that, does, that God doesn't want us to walk, we need to agree with God. Yes, Father, as you say, that's wrong. I, you call it sin, I call it sin. Please forgive me and apply to me today the grace and forgiveness Jesus won for me on the cross. And here's the great good news of confession. 1 John 2, 1, just a few more verses later, John says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you might not sin, but if anyone does sin, remember we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You see that? If anyone does sin, of course, we all do sin. We're not sinless, and we won't be until we stand in the presence of God in the kingdom of God. So if anyone sins, what do you do with that? You confess that sin, knowing that Jesus stands before the Father in your place as your defense attorney. The very presence of Jesus before the Father assures you that your sins have been covered. So there is no fear in uncovering them and confessing them. You see, if it said faithful and, merc faithful and merciful or faithful and loving, it would be, and we had to, had to confess and get forgiveness of every sin from now on, it would be like Jesus would be standing before the Father and say, I know, I know. He blew it again. I'm, I, I, he keeps saying he's sorry. You know, he goes through this whole cycle of confession and all this stuff, but... But he, I think he, I don't know, I, I just really want, Father, I just hope you give him one more chance. Just give him another chance this week and see if he does better. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is standing there saying, Father, you can't charge that sin against him because you charged it against me. 
So you see, that's the good news. You can't charge the sin against him because you, you, you charged it against me. It's been paid for it. I paid for it. Your sins, past, present, and future, have been covered on the cross. You have been covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ the righteous. And that means you need not fear confessing your sins to God. Because by confessing your sins, you will experience in the present the blessing of God's grace and forgiveness forgiveness that you received in the past when you trusted Christ as your Savior. And that, my friends, is the great good news of the gospel. Amen? Amen. Yep. Uh, I'm going to ask Todd Devaney to join me here at the table. And uh, as many of you know, uh, Todd was on our staff here for many years as our executive pastor of operations. But in the fall of uh, 2019, in September 2019, uh, we had to make a difficult announcement at the end of a service just like this. And um, Todd had confessed um, to a long-running moral failure, which wasn't illegal, but it did uh, disqualify him biblically from serving as a, an elder and a pastor, and so he had to step down. And I'm here uh, to tell you uh, that uh, Todd confessed his sin and he repented of that sin, and over the last 20 months, he stepped into an intense process of repentance and, and making restitution, making amends, um, and he's given his all to working towards reconciliation with his wife, uh, Tina, who has been so faithful and loving um, and courageous through this whole thing in standing by Todd and uh, and he's worked hard uh, in this restoration process to reconcile with his family, his kids, and with uh, other people who were affected by his sin. And I've met with Todd pretty much every month uh, since that time, and I have personally witnessed the reality of the truth I talked about this morning, and that is that genuine confession leads to genuine change. And Todd is a very different man than I knew him to be. And honestly, I've never seen anyone be so diligent and so committed to the process of growth and learning and humbling themselves as I've seen in this man right here. And so I'm very grateful that he's here with us this morning to share a little bit of his story of grace. So Todd, just talk to us a little bit about this journey that you've been on, the path you've walked over the past 20 months? Well, first of all, thanks for um, sticking with me. Um, so confession for, uh, in this process for me has been uh, long and arduous in many ways. Um, but I'll share with you some of the pieces of the process, which started with uh, getting involved with an organization called Tin Man. Um, Tin Man is a group that works to help uh, men and women uh, recover their hearts. Um, and a lot of what Charlie's talked about this morning is the process of recovering your heart. And I began 
intensive counseling um, with them um, and uh, went through one-on-one -on -one counseling as well as group counseling in an effort to deal with my story, which was really dealing with my sin. Mm. Um, and that was a, the, the process of one-on-one -on -one work. Um, Tina and I did extensive marriage counseling to work through um, my sin and my story. Um, and then I participated in the Regen ministry here at Fellowship, um, which is a recovery ministry for um, those that struggle with addictions and um, just need help looking at their story and um, trying to get the healing that God intends for them. Um, and that program is every Monday night here at Fellowship, and it has been a gift to me, to my soul. Um, our family has, all my kids needed counseling because of my sin. And they went through a process, our family's been through a process of confession and amends and all of the things that, um, many of the things that you've talked about this morning. But it's been long, but it's been rewarding. Mm -hmm. And you, I know you've said to me before that, <clears throat> and you mentioned this on the front end, that it's been a process of confession. Talk about that a little bit. So if, um, when I first um, confessed, um, there's this sense that, hey, get it all out and it'll all be better. And there's some truth to that. But what I discovered pretty quickly was you can't get it all out because you don't even know all the stuff hmm. that's been buried and that you've been hiding and that you've forgotten about and the people that you've hurt and the places that you've lied and just, it's just, so... As I began dealing with my stuff, more stuff needed to be dealt with. Hmm. And I would call Charlie and say, hey, can we, go, can we talk again? And we'd sit down and I'd, he'd look at me and I'd go, I need to tell you some more. And that was, but the, con, but the, the blessing of confession was that, hmm. was continuing to faithfully go back to it, keep working on it, and I have found incredible mercy from the Father and mm -hmm. others, mm -hmm. um, not without consequence, as you've mentioned this morning, mm -hmm. but um, the mercy is worth receiving. Mm -hmm. And you, um, uh, t talk a little bit about um, what it was like to live, you know, literally for years with secret, unconfessed sin, um, the, the best way I think I can say it is I didn't understand what I didn't have in my life, which was genuine um, connection with other people, um, genuine um, ability to be empathetic, to sympathize, to be kind. I really didn't I wasn't able to live the fruits of the Spirit. Hmm. Hmm. I couldn't be that person because of the sin that was always there that if, I, if somebody knew about, then that would be, you know, I, there would be no way forward in that relationship. Mm -hmm. and so I had to cover it. I had to hide it. And so I could never live in relationship, really healthy relationship with other people because they couldn't know me. Mm -hmm. And if you can't be known, then you can't have relationship. Mm -hmm. So the weight of that over time 
you just start to go, well, I, I started to believe that I would never get found out, which obviously that's not true. Um, but trying to cover it up, trying to hide it, trying to make sure nobody knew about it was, I think the passage this morning, the, the weight of that and the drying up of my bones and the emotional drying up of my soul was happening. Mm. It was killing me mm -hmm. in many ways. Mm -hmm. I didn't know it. I tried to fight it, mm -hmm. tried other things to cover it up, but it was exhausting me. Mm -hmm. So God in his grace yeah. uh, pointed this out and then so. you confessed um, and you repented and um, you've already mentioned a little bit about the, 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 you know, getting on the other side of the sin, the realm of blessing. But talk a little bit more about, because I know you, like David said, you know, you're my hiding place. Yeah. And, and you, you had to hide in God through a whole oh, lot of this. Yeah. There, was, uh, there was a lot of, I mean, I didn't know early on what was going to happen. I had lost everything. The job I dreamed I would have for Maybe the rest of my career was here. Um, I had no job. I didn't know if I was going to have a marriage or a family. or I didn't know or friends. Mm -hmm. I didn't know, um, which was terrifying. And God has got, I had, I had the only thing, I had God. That was all I had. And I would run every day to try to, and beg him to stay with me, mm. which he was but he wanted me to come to him. Mm -hmm. And confession brought my relationship to him, the fellowship back. I didn't lose relationship, but it brought me back into fellowship with God. And then over time, um, through the process of confession, relationship with family, spouse, wife, Tina, all of those things began to slowly start to happen because uh, confession became a part of my life and mm -hmm. I was no longer hiding anything. Mm -hmm. and so that was the, and now I have the privilege. I mean, the blessing now is uh, I'm, uh, I'm coaching with Tin Man. I, I've got this incredible opportunity now to work with guys who are, um, have similar stories to mine. And God's allowing me to sit and listen to their story and begin to process their story and try to help them with um, what's going on in their life, which I never could do that before. I couldn't sit with people mm -hmm. when it was with all my stuff going on. I could never stay with them because mm -hmm. it was too much. Mm -hmm. I mean, if they knew about me, they wouldn't be telling me this, right? Right, like, right. That was the, so I had to hide. And when I was hiding, I couldn't empathize. I couldn't sympathize. I couldn't sit with them. I couldn't hear what they needed me to hear. And, but now that's God's opened my heart have my feelings, my emotions, all those things that I didn't, I was telling first service, I mentioned that, like, I go outside now and I see birds and flowers and trees and clouds and I, I didn't, that stuff, like, it was there, but I didn't see it and I sure didn't enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And now the beauty of creation overwhelms me. Mm -hmm. The forgiveness that I see in that, that I experience in that, because my heart and my mind are connected, and my whole being is now living, mm -hmm. which is new. Mm -hmm. So that's that wholeness, yeah, and uh, joy and rest and Absolutely. peace. Absolutely, it's and, so good. Yeah, mm. uh, Todd also is uh, 
a mentor and a coach in Regen after having gone through that. And um, so um, it's going to be neat to see as you continue on this journey, you know, how God's going to use this and you and Tina both in helping other couples work through this kind of thing. Um, anything else you feel like God wants you to say? Um, yeah, I, I, would, I would love to say that um, to you as a church that I'm sorry for the deceit and the double life that I lived in front of you. Sorry. And I would, I would ask you to forgive me and I'm grateful for this place and the, the, the way that they helped me when I needed help the most. So, thank you. You're welcome. You. Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you so much for uh, this man. Thank you for Todd and how you've worked in his life. I thank you he knows the joy of not having any sin held against him because he has an advocate before the Father who's already paid for all of his sins. I thank you for Tina uh, standing beside him and it's, not, it's been a rough road on her as well, but I, I thank you that she has faithfully walked this path and she's walked it with Todd. And uh, God, I ask that you would continue to strengthen them both, continue to uh, show them what you want to do with this story of grace because I know, God, that, that there are so many people who are stuck and this story of grace could, God, would you use it to help other people uncover the secret sins and secret lives they're living so that they can get the same freedom and wholeness and joy and peace and the sense of, of, of uh, restoration that uh, Todd has experienced. Thank you for this time we could have together to hear a real life story of Psalm 32 in Jesus' name, amen.